Welcome to episode 18 of The Flight Stuff, an Alpha Flight podcast. My name is Liam O'Donnell. I'm uh, founder of Cinepunks.com. My name is Adriana Gober, managing editor of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a podcaster and a contributor to Cinepunks.com. All right, here it is, episode 18, and it's it's a different episode than usual because we're talking about a brand spanking new Alpha Flight comic book, Alpha Flight True North, number one. Now, uh, before we even get into it, can I ask you guys real quick, why is it number one if it's a one-off? Couldn't they just call it Alpha Flight True North? There's not going to be a number two, right, or am I wrong? I think that you at least have to leave it as potentially a follow-up, though I think maybe Ooh. it's just company mandate that you have to put a number, put a number on, on the cover something. there somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, maybe I think right now we all are feeling, like, excited about the idea. More Alpha Flight. This could yes. lead to, to more. It could lead to a monthly. But at the very least, even if this becomes yearly, bi-yearly, whatever it becomes, it would be nice if they took this mantle and continued with it in some form. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's... Just seeing Alpha Flight and number one on there, it got me excited, Liam. It got me pretty excited. Whew. Whew. I, I, I would definitely like more Alpha Flight in any way we can get it. Uh, this. Hey, uh, now, the, uh, now you're just asking for trouble. <laughs> that's true. That's true. If this is, let's put it this way, and we'll get, we're about to get into it, but if this is a sign of what to expect, then I'm excited for more. Uh, this special issue uh, has three stories in it. Uh, we're going to take a, some time to, to talk about each one. Um, and I think we're really excited to uh, discuss the issue as a whole. Um, I want to start, though, uh, talking about the cover by uh, Nick Bradshaw and Federico Blee. Did I get those right? Did I get those right? I, I know you got the first one right. <laughs> uh, uh, Adriana, you know, we're Alpha Flight's back. It's, it's, it's back. It's in our faces. It's real. We're holding it. It exists in the world. Kids can see it and maybe buy it, maybe not. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, what do you think of this cover as a way to, like, welcome back the team into the real, current, active Marvel Universe? I think this cover is great. It's unmistakably Alpha Flight. You know, it's it's the classic Alpha Flight lineup in action formation. Um, it pretty cleverly captures each member's personalities and abilities. Like, for example, Puck is doing acrobatics. North Star and Aurora are zooming around mid-flight. Uh, and, of course, James, as Guardian, uh, is front and center as leader. Um, and the perspective Bradshaw uses is interesting, too. It's very kinetic, and it looks like they're they're going to jump off the page right at us. Mm. Mm. Doug, how do you feel about this cover? I should mention right off the bat, Liam, that I'm a huge Nick Bradshaw fan. Oh. Uh, and I first started loving his art when he used to do those Army of Darkness comics. Uh, years back, he used to do the covers for those, and he has such a really unique... Uh, almost like a, a Don Bluth animated style to his work. Uh, sure. he, I, I mean, he, it's not like he can only do that. And certainly here, it doesn't resemble that in any direct form. But I love that it kind of, there's, it's very actiony. As Adriana mentioned, it has that really unique perspective. One of the other things I like about this cover is that it features characters that are not actually in the book proper, which usually, you know, we would call that a bait and switch. But, you know, it's important, I think, that Sasquatch gets represented and that uh, Shaman gets represented here on the cover because we don't actually see them in the issue. And I have to say, I love how Sasquatch looks on the cover. Very fierce, very uh, ferocious. Uh, I, I think it's there's a uh, element to that character that um, in a lot of the work that we've been reading up to this point on the podcast, he's been so laid back. And when we see him fight, you know, there's, I think we've all been a little hesitant in regards to Sasquatch because he kind of sucks. But here, this is a character I can get behind. I just love it. I love seeing the whole group together. What can I say? I feel like the leitmotif to my feelings about Alpha Flight is I just want to see the group together, uh, which is a funny thing to say because we're talking about a book with three separate stories in it. Sure, exactly. That is that is true, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. I got to agree with you, this raging out Sasquatch. And, you know, it's not that the design is maybe different. It, it's still recognizably Sasquatch, but uh, the ferocity of his face is, like, different than I'm used to seeing him represented in this comic, uh, just in the issues we've been looking at. I do have one, one issue, which is that, like, Marina is on the cover, which is terrific, but why didn't they put her front and center 
on the cover mm. to represent mm. her importance to the group, particularly mm. because, and I'm just going to put this out here. Look, a lot of people, they mock me for my love of Marina. Uh, I think she's the highlight of this entire issue and i think that's not even that controversial of a statement wow well mm-hmm. uh i'm just gonna new go leader. ahead i'm just gonna go ahead and ignore everything you're saying and All just right. move on like it didn't happen no i i do like that there's this uh i'm actually willing to call it a, a rehabilitation now th- this is actually a good opportunity to point out something that's going to become an issue as we as we get through here because as everyone who listens to the show knows we've been going chronologically through alpha flight uh but when it comes to, let's say, if I had to make an estimate, the last <laughs> 20 or so years of the development of these characters, I am largely ignorant. Doug, why would he know? He didn't know what Alpha Flight was till we invited him on this podcast. And, uh, Not entirely and Adri- true, but... I know. I'm just <laughs> and Adriana, how familiar are you with, with the recent developments in, uh, in these Alpha Flight characters? I'm probably a little bit more familiar with it than 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 you, but not much. I mean, I've I've read a little bit here or there, but my familiarity kind of stops with the 90s. So, for all I know, in that time, uh Marina may have actually become a very important figure in the world of Alpha Flight and we just didn't know that. But based upon our experience, this felt like, you know, let's front and center a character that, you know, was important to Alpha Flight. It's not like she doesn't matter, but I don't, th- I, I, you know, I like that they made her a priority when, like you said, Sasquatch isn't actually in the issue. Uh, Shaman isn't actually in the issue. Those are two characters that I would have thought of being slightly more important. And there's no Jeffries mm-hmm. who, as we all know, is the greatest Alphan there is. Uh, and that's just a fact that is, uh, you can't say anything about it. So you know what else I like on this cover, Liam? What I like that they put front and well, not center, but front and bottom. The fact that the creative teams that are behind these stories are overwhelmingly Canadian. I think it's pretty fortuitous mm. that we are talking about this issue in the transition point in our uh, chronological look at Alpha Flight, where mm. they're about to move on to a, a, a Canadian penciler. And here we have, a, like, finally a collection of Canadian talent. And I, I truly believe that you can feel the Canadianness on the page when you're reading this book because I feel like there's a level of detail and a level of care to the sure. locations that we're in that we have not seen. I mean, even going back to Burn. Mm. I'm kind of curious what, um, what exactly if if you have anything specific in mind when you say that which i guess we we'll, we can get into uh-huh. once we discuss each <laughs> each story but i'm i'm very curious to dig into that yeah i'm curious of that too because i uh, don't believe you so i can't wait for you to <laughs> tell me why uh well let's do this uh i i think we should take on each of these stories individually for those of you who haven't had a chance to read it yet stop listening to this podcast and go read it but just in case uh this is three different stories each with a different creative team uh that tells a a, a, a smaller story about uh some members of of the team and sort of gives us a little picture of where they're at uh which i found very charming uh so up first is a story called mired in the past written by jim zub pencils by max dunbar uh what happens in this in this uh vignette doug Uh, in this story, uh, Snowbird and Talisman are investigating a uh, strange occurrence in Nunavut uh, when the pair are attacked by a strange amorphic creature who soon overwhelms them. Uh, Snowbird changes into a very Sasquatch-like Wendigo character, which we've seen, of course, in the uh, series proper, but is still outmatched until a burst of divine light reveals the creature to be uh, Richard Easton, who you might remember actually from the very first issue of Alpha Flight. Uh, it's Snowbird's human father, which I'm not sure if that gets investigated in other parts of the series. Uh, he's been driven mad by his partial godhood because, of course, Snowbird is the child of a god and Richard in this case. Uh, Snowbird removes the headband from Richard that gave him uh, the ability to contact Nelvana, her mother, uh, and then she sends his soul to rest. It's a, uh, a very short but very sweet uh, story that has some great monster action, I would say, Sure, it definitely has a bit of that horror aspect. Adriana, mm. what what did you think about this this uh, particular story? Well, first of all, I think there's a pretty clear th- thematic through line uh, across all three of these stories um, that involves reconciling with the past. Like each segment revolves around its primary characters grappling with the ghosts of their past, and in Snowbird's case, it is quite literal. 
it was interesting because I didn't really know where the story was going. And I did not anticipate that reveal with her, her human father. But I really liked the way that it harkened back to that very early Alpha Flight story arc. And as far as, like, thing, things that really stood out to me about this story... I have to say, like, Max Dunbar's art is fantastic, and um, especially the way he executes the uh, snowbird's transformations from the wolf to the giant sort of snow beast. Uh, it's really well done. I was just going to say that the, the way that this story makes use of Snowbird and her ability to switch between these different forms is, I think, more effective than anything we've seen in the regular series, simply because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it isn't this big showy thing. It's just something that, okay, now I'm in this form. Now I'm in that form. It's the most sensible thing to be at this particular time. Uh, and I wish it was something that we saw a little bit more in the series proper. I don't mean to always kind of compare the two. Obviously, they're trying to do different things. But Snowbird is a character that I've always kind of struggled with in terms of her power set. And here you can really see, you know, yeah, we now this creature's attacking us. I'm going to take the form that's most uh, efficient at dealing with this creature. Uh, and it's, I, and of course, that leads to what I think is probably maybe the best art of this uh, or the most interesting art of this entire issue. Well, I think it's worth bringing up the original series the way you do in, in this in this sense, too. You know, the original series has this character snowboard who is literally, like <laughs> she sort of acknowledges here, a combination of divinity and humanity. And then it introduces talisman who basically functions for a few issues as like indigenous jesus like she is Mm. the chosen one and her power is far and it's like i we barely get a chance to appreciate the power of snowbird so then to suddenly bring in talisman narratively undercuts the importance of snowbird and of shaman because talisman's like this whole other level so in this issue to have talisman sort of need snowbird and not actually be able to sort of make it without snowbird's divine power being unleashed was i felt very effective and makes a lot more sense to me in the grand yeah. scheme of things you know snowbird is literally the child of the you know goddess of the northern lights that seems much more important than uh where talisman which is that which not to say she's not important but uh you know that the it seemed like she was the next thing and then therefore she got all this attention and then of course then they write her out you know we'll deal with her again soon in the main series but uh i think this story deals with them and gives me a sense of who they are a lot more because even if snowbird in her physical form is overwhelmed she still has this divine being that isn't going to let her just get like killed for no reason you know what i mean so i I really appreciated that angle and not to dwell on this too much but just on the subject of comparing this to um you know older issues of alpha flight i think it's fair to do in this instance too because the creators themselves are doing that in the in the sense that each of these stories comments on old alpha flight stories right so i think it's i think it's totally fair to to draw comparisons well, I w- and I would actually also say it, they, a few of them give us more depth or tie up certain, you know, we never yeah. really got a good feeling of what happened to Snowbird's dad. And it doesn't seem like anyone has cared for the past 30 some. <laughs> so There's I'm a lot glad. of closure happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I really appreciated that. I also want to agree and, and we can spend more time on it if you guys have more to say. I really appreciated the art in this section as well. And not just the style, which is, you know, very much a, a style that I appreciate. But I do think there's a lot of very intelligent design choices here, a lot of action being represented well. And my favorite is this whole um you know uh uh snowbird sort of fleshly form being attacked and her revealing sort of her inner divinity to demand clarity about who this being is that's attacking Mm -hmm. them that whole sequence i thought was very well done you know maybe reminiscent of some other sources but i just really appreciated it and it really felt like okay we're kicking this off in a really sort of strong way uh also side note her the ghost of her father there's a couple of shots of his face that are like very well done like when he's talking to her and uh uh the the when he says i like that name he, he, the 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 look on his face is very compelling so i i do want to highlight that as well you know one thing i just wanted to bring up just quickly is that i don't think we've ever seen a alpha flight story which just featured two female members of alpha flight working together 
Um, not, that not I yet. don't. Yeah. So I mean, it's oh, yeah. You're right. Of course, only up to what I've read up to this point, and that's kind of a unique dynamic, especially these two particular characters. Uh, and and like you said, Liam, they have some similarities in terms of. Um, in, in terms of their kind of overpower set to some extent, but just seeing them interact, I mean, it, it really is very compelling in this proper. Uh, and just to go back to, since you were asking before about what I meant about the level of detail that a Canadian can bring to this. Yeah. Now, uh, where this takes place is Kugaruk, I'm probably mangling that, and I apologize, um, is, is like an Inuit commu- community in Nunavut. It's a real place. It has like less than a thousand people. And I mean, you only need... To do some brief, I mean, I, I've seen seen actual video of this location and and doing some photo references and things like that. Now you don't see much of it in this story proper. There isn't a lot of time to go sightseeing, but even the establishing shot, the uh, the locations when they're walking around the buildings and things like that, that's a level of attention to detail and a difference in regards to what, say, this would look like compared to a larger community. The very fact that they're going to a smaller community in Nunavut, I think, is really telling as well right because again alpha flight are supposed to cover the entire country Mm -hmm. but one of the things that we've always run into is that they only ever seem to go to toronto or vancouver and places like that that's one of the things i love about these three stories um particularly again the second one because i think we we're going to prince edward island for the very first time but we'll get to that in just a little bit yeah, I I agree, and I and I think you know this rings to Adriana's point of like thinking about you know using the original Alpha Flight as obviously a source of inspiration. None of this stuff is like separate; it's all very continuous with that. But also maybe uh, directly and indirectly addressing aspects of the past that maybe are uncomfortable or that you know could be better. Or however, you want to think about that. Um, what else is there? Anything else you all want to say about the story? I I, actually, I have a question for both of you. Sure. Which is that when the the um, the late in the story when Snowbird uh, realizes that this creature uh, is enveloped with the spirit of her father, whatever those panels which have that kind of stark white background, do you think that is supposed to be a visual reference in some small way to the Snowblind story from John Byrne? Well, it didn't occur to me when I was reading it, but you know, you could be right. It's just simply because that story is so well-known uh, and controversial right. in some ways. And just seeing Snowbird against that <laughs> blank white background, it's hard not to at least think about it a little. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it definitely could be. I just like to, to act like I actually you know, <laughs> nodded to it or something. But yeah, and, and to, you know, whether whether that's the intention or not, those panels are very effective, and I think they, you know, tell the story well and, and kind of like what the part of their effectiveness is at the end when it dissipates it really has this feeling of like like a wintry magic like it almost mm-hmm. you know yeah. gives us more of a feeling of snowbird as a deity of the north which like doesn't happen as often as you would like in the other in the in the regular series at least as far as we've read so i, I really like that aspect of it of getting a feeling of like that she has some deep power connected to that identity yeah i agree 100 percent so the next story is called Monsters. It's written by Jed McKay, uh, pencils by uh, Jabril Morissette Fon. So, Doug, why don't you tell us about what happens in this uh, issue featuring one of your favorite characters? It does. Uh, and I, I am very excited to talk about this. I'm just going to bring it up right from the beginning that uh, Jed McKay is uh, from PEI, from Prince Edward Island here in Canada. Uh, which isn't Newfoundland, but I do feel a kinship because we're both uh, East Coasters. Um, so here in this story, Puck and Marina, they're talking while Aurora and North Star, they tan on Cavendish Beach in PEI. Uh, Puck tells her of his previous visit to the island when he was joined by Ulysses Bloodstone and Fat Cobra to stop a series of cult sacrifices that were occurring. This was back, I think, in the 1930s. Uh, they killed the giant octopus creature that the people had been sacrificed to. Um, but in the telling, Marina realizes that the story is actually a confession by Puck, uh, that the creature they killed was a Plodex like her, we might remember from the history of Alpha Flight that Plodex, they were sent to... Anyway, we, you know it if you've listened to the show. Puck is ashamed about what he did, but Marina reminds him that she was designed uh, by her creator to be dangerous, that it's in her biology, but that biology can be overcome. 
and people can change for the better. And I, I do think, by the way, that the last few panels of this story might be some of the best storytelling that we've seen in any Alpha Flight comic. I, so good. Uh, it, sorry. Is, it, I hope that's not a controversial thing to say. It's a really beautifully told story. And again, seeing two characters that I'm not used to seeing have this re- relationship, and it's such a comfortable relationship between the two. I really think that for all of the doubters, all of the skeptics about Marina, uh, this is a story that you could show them and be like, Doug's right. Doug's right, everybody. <sighs> Doug's right. <laughs> no, I I really, really enjoyed Marina's characterization here. And I have to say, at the end of it, I found those last few panels very moving and beautiful and like i i don't think it's controversial at all to say that this is some of the best writing we've seen uh, you know up up to this point on doing this show and and covering these characters mm-hmm. yeah i i you know as pa- much as it pains me to admit doug <laughs> uh, but but you know doug is right well what i think i can say is that uh and this you know will probably be a theme throughout that uh this one comic manages to give us a stronger feel for these characters now granted mm. you know they're pulling from a longer history so you know i don't want to be too unfair to the folks that were reading in the past who are still maybe trying to feel out who these people were but i just feel like the insights in these short little stories are like way more effective than a lot of what we've read so far and and in this sense you know this is a more for me at least uh, a more uh, sympathetic and endearing uh, Marina than we've gotten in in the in the series so far, um, and you know clearly this is a story about her, but it's more a story about Puck, and I, I just want to highlight this is how you tell a story about Puck's checkered past and have it still be compelling for his character now. I feel like in the main series that where we've read so far. Whenever they get into Puck's past, it just doesn't always it not nah, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of times it doesn't quite work or it's it's not as compelling for who he is now. And this story was not just about, you know, warrior, bloodthirsty, monster hunter Puck, which by the way, it's a fun way to tell a story considering uh Ulysses blood whatever bloodstone, uh <laughs> that he headed a co- you know he was part of a comic called monster hunters you know like that it, it's it's that marvel thing of let's do something that's like totally winky fan service but also it's important for a character story we're actually telling. yeah and being able to being able to combine those two things in a way that's actually smart is like the trick that doesn't always work and in this case it really works if you're nerdy enough to look up ulysses bloodstone that's a fun way to tell that story but it also matters for puck that you believe that puck would hunt monsters not because of moral compunction at this time <laughs> but because he's just looking for more adventure this is a way for him to to grab life a little more. And I just found that really a compelling way to get into the story, but also to get at some of his dark side, some of his guilt, some of his pain. You know, I appreciated that. It was really super compelling to me. Um, I also found it compelling to see the twins just being lazy and tanning themselves after a <laughs> yes. well, How did you, how did so you feel about that, Adrian? I thought it was great. I loved the sass. I mean, my only complaint is that we we do not get enough of them. They're in this comic for maybe like two panels. Uh, I I definitely would have loved to have seen more North Star, but um, what we do see of North Star and Aurora is really great. Um, but uh, just getting back to what you were saying, Liam, about you know the exploration of Puck's backstory. Um, I. <laughs> I love the fact that Marina is burying Puck in sand as he's telling her this very serious story about this dark chapter of his life. Because, I mean, it's a cute little interaction, but I think it also tells us a lot about um, their, their relationship and how comfortable they are with each other. So, again, very economic storytelling going on. I love, too, like that part where they're telling the story it's progressing as the story yeah. is progressing as well it's such like you said it's such a, a really small detail but it it gives it form it, it really kind of reinforces that relationship in a way that i mean well how many pages of this story 10 pages maybe a little bit more uh, by the time it's over you're like this is a relationship i'd love to see explored in a full series right yes totally 
Ian Herring, who who did the coloring, he really knocked it out of the park. Like the coloring on the story has this very warm quality yeah, to it. There's yeah. a lot of warm tones, and I think it really serves the story well. Like it serves the emotion and the, the intimacy of Puck and Marina's interaction. And 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 reading it feels like a warm hug. Like I feel like I am being enveloped by like large Alfin arms. Um, <laughs> especially at the end, like when Marina gives that amazing speech to Puck about not apologizing for who they are. Um, it's, it's just so good. Like it all coheres so well. I agree. And, and, you know, the fact that it is able to endear so much warmth and compassion in a story about two murderers. I mean, that's (laughs) the story is the story is Puck used to murder monsters and now one of his friends is a monster and he feels bad and she's like yeah but i am an actual monster i'm not like (laughs) pretend monster like i was literally biologically designed to end all life on this planet but then because y'all are so good to me i didn't do it and that's like part of the glory of a comic book is when you can take two utterly ridiculous things and then actually make it feel like relatable and warm and normal. Like these are two people who care about each other, who I want to know more about. And the fact that their actual stories on paper are just ridiculous nonsense. Like I don't care. And I think it nods to that by the ending. At the end, there's a nod to uh, the fact that Marina's character has died multiple (laughs) times and a nod to the fact that Puck, not only has Puck died, but he briefly ruled hell. So, like, dealing with that in a humorous way is a way to acknowledge, you know, it's a sort of wink that's not corny. It, It acknowledges to your audience, like, we know that these characters have been through a lot, but we're still going for something real with them while not ignoring the various narrative loops that they've been put through in the past. <laughs> I, I do want to say that one aspect of Marina's character that I would love to see explored since we're talking about, you know, potential for the future is the fact that the the love that she has felt that has allowed her to become more than her biology, it didn't start with Alpha Flight, right? That 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 she right. came from a community uh, that accepted her. <laughs> I know we've made great hay about the idea that they were all incestuous there, so they were used to seeing strange-looking children running about. But <laughs> be that as it may, you know th- that she had a loving family that uh, that you know never questioned what the kind of person that she was. And we don't really we don't really know much. Like very early on in Alpha Flight, the relationship with her brother and things were teased, but it didn't really up to the point where we're reading go to any place interesting but i i feel like that's a whole piece of her backstory that i'd like to see explored as well again one of the things about reading this particular issue is that all it made me think about is like with a committed intelligent talented group of people like are working on this just um, the potential just kind of of overflows on every page i mean and and that's not just the writing it's the art too now the art style in this story is very different than in the first one but I really love it, and particularly I love the flashback sequences. Uh, Adriana referred to the coloring, and yeah, the coloring is beautiful. But particularly in the flashback, I find it so like the, those sequences when they're uh, running to attack this kind of giant octopus squid creature. That stuff is unbelievable. I mean, that is that is is gorgeous art, but also like really wonderfully detailed art you can kind of look around the image and see and get so much out of it uh it's just boy it's a it's a real pleasure to look at um and you know we've seen a lot of good art so far yeah, reading alpha flight generally but uh sometimes you sometimes i guess i forget particularly maybe in the most recent issues that we've been reading that when you pair you know these the, this kind of like like high level talent together the writing and the art you come up with something that can be kind of deeply satisfying on a uh, a number of different levels. And this, of the three stories that we get, this is the one that I find the most satisfying. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, let's move on to our uh, final story uh, called Illegal Guardians, written by Ed uh, Brisson. Brisson? Brisson? Written by Ed Brisson. Uh, pencils by Scott Hepburn. Doug, what happens in this, our final uh, story of the issue? <laughs> So this starts with Heather Hudson. Uh, she's telling Claire Hudson a bedtime story when they're attacked by the outcasts, who are a team of mercenaries that I am entirely unfamiliar with. 
Uh, she gets the upper hand, but the group shakes her house to rubble, trapping her. But before they can finish her off, she's saved by James Hudson, Guardian, who rescues her and Claire and brings them to a safe haven, apparently a, a location that he had purchased, uh, assuaging her guilt for the murder that she committed in a miniseries that we have yet to cover here on the show. After dropping them off at their new home, it's revealed that Heather and Claire are actually inside a simulation in Department H headquarters in Toronto, where James is cooperating in exchange for their safety. They are unaware that they're in this simulation. The idea is that James has sort of uh, traded his allegiances or something along those lines in order to keep them safe in this uh, ever-improving simulation. And like I said, quite a launch pad for a potential new series. Uh, I do have to say that this is the story that... Of all three, I felt a little uh, untethered because it was referencing things I wasn't aware of in the history of Alpha Flight because everyone who listens to the show regularly knows that I'm, I've only ever read up to the point we've covered on the show. So, uh, but that, be that as it may, it did leave me intrigued, Liam. Hmm. I appreciate that. Adriana, what did you think of this story? Uh, how did it sit with you as an Alpha Flight fan? I, I think there's like a, a real emotional depth to all three of these stories. They all deal with like some some pretty heavy things, but to to to, dif- to different degrees. And I think this story is much darker than the 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 previous two, which I was not expecting. It, I it kind of I I was taken aback a bit by it. Um, this story really plays into the the more calculating and manipulative manipulative side of of James Hudson Hudson that we that we've talked about before on this show. And that we don't really, we haven't really seen too much of, uh, you know, in the in the issues of the comic we've discussed thus far. Like we see, we see hints of it, but here it's pretty pronounced. What I love most about it is that final panel, mm-hmm. where again, so so for those who haven't seen it, it's just it's James hovering over a monitor where he's watching his. Uh, former wife um, and I guess child. I don't know how the how Claire works into this. And he says, if we want her to trust us, we need to make the lie more believable, which gives such insight into the way that he thinks about that relationship and what he, you know, and how divorced he is from what an actual caring, loving relationship with Heather could could possibly be. There's a part in this story where she suspects that he's being so nice to her because he wants to rekindle something with them. With her, sorry. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's a really nice little moment. Uh, and then at the end, it just seems all the more kind of transparently, maybe devious is too strong of a word. But James Hudson is a very conflicting character. And it, again, a lot of this is news to me as a reader who's only read it to the point where we, we, we are. But that has been hinted at in recent issues that we've covered on the show. And I guess I can see how that's going to progress as it goes forward. Um, it, it's a really interesting moment. You know, this, this man who at one point was the central character of this entire series now left, you know, staring at a screen at a woman who is in a simulation of his own creation. Uh, very interesting. And, and like I said, as a starting point for something going forward, I'd love to see what they did with it. Yeah, totally. And it's so gross too, that he's doing this all for department age. Like he's, he, he is trying to condition Heather to be deferential to the man, basically, uh-huh. which I, I just, I, I just it, found it's repulsive. A, it's a difficult story because it is the one that reminds me the most of what I, you know, am used to from Alpha Flight, which is a certain mm. kind of cynical darkness, which I would appreciate if it was balanced out with triumph, but at least to the point where we've read way less triumph, mostly cynicism and betrayal sort of narratives, you know, like mostly failure and negative stuff and them wondering if they're even going to make it and not enough triumph stuff. And this is the one story that kind of reminded me that a little bit. On the other hand, what for me as someone who has read a little more than you, Doug, and is familiar with some of the, (laughs) maybe not, maybe this has all been retconned, but, but at least in the past, a lot of what James Hudson was tied with was the various, uh, probably over the top conspiracy theories connected to Wolverine and his various friends. And so my view of James Hudson is like that he can't be trusted, you know, like that's the essential nature of his character to some extent based on this stuff. But what this manages to do is to give you both a deceptive James and the James who thinks he's a hero at the same time that like what he's doing, that he is 
doing something utterly despicable, but he's partly doing it in his mind to save them, you know? And I think that that is probably true of how, or that is the best version of his character that sort of combines various threads through history, which is sort of what I feel like this whole uh, issue is, right? Which is like, how do we kind of like rethink some of these characters in a way that that synthesizes a lot of the history that already exists without feeling like completely beholden to it, Um, which I find mostly good. One place where I don't find it good is... Come on, brown hair, Heather. What's what's that about? I, I I can't possibly approve of. I can't possibly approve of her hair color, let alone <laughs> their daughter's hair color in this issue. What what do, what do you guys think about this controversial retconning of Heather's hair? How do we feel about this? You you mean redconning? Exactly. <laughs> I I mean I you know I felt like this art. Uh, I liked it. Um, I didn't love it. Uh, but that was one thing which, you know, might not even be their choice. Maybe it's been that way for a while and I'm just ignorant of how Heather Hudson is depicted now, but man, she, I did not even recognize her as Heather until it was clear in the narrative that she was Heather. You know what I mean? I I could see that. I mean, the the big glasses help, I guess. Uh, I I, I didn't find her that hard to recognize to be frank. Honestly, I I didn't, I, I, I assumed it was some other character when I first started reading. It's British Columbia. It's an Alpha Flight comic. I mean, eventually you're going to see how they show up. Uh, I do want to mention, by the way, they do the establishing shot of Kelowna, British Columbia, and they show the mountains in the background, which, again, I don't think we ever see mountains in the BC parts of the stories that we've been reading. Yeah. Again, just little details, and they even go to another part of British Columbia that isn't a major city in this one. They go to Progress, British Columbia. Again, little details, Liam. Canada's a big place. We can. We don't just need to go to this. the... the the big cities. Someday we can go to St. John's, Newfoundland. We could even go to my hometown, Kelligrew's, Newfoundland. Why not that? Finally, there is authentic Canadian representation. Hey, hey, That's, I'm so hey, excited. They went to the mall that. that one time. That was very important. <laughs> that was a very important. The owner. The guy who ran the mall was he there. Was the, comic. the comic. The comic. Uh, well, you don't get. You can't tell me you get more authentic than the local mall guy being in the comic. Come on. <laughs> that, that that's pretty good. I have to agree. So, um, we we actually got some interesting questions about this, but before we move on to that, I want to sort of give us a chance to say, like, what did we think? You know, we've sort of commented on each of these stories. How do we think this uh, issue lands as a whole, and what does it make us hopeful for for the future if they're going to do more alpha flight uh doug i'll start with you what, what, where how do you think the whole thing works together and and what do you think about the future assuming anyone cares enough for there to be more alpha flight this is a really beautiful tribute to characters that the people writing and drawing them obviously care about they obviously think that they have been maybe i'm putting words in their brains or words in their mouths but that they've been shortchanged to some extent these are rich interesting characters that have a uh, long history and and to a certain point a very successful history uh and they've had a lot of good and interesting things happen to them and a lot of bad and terrible storytelling choices that have occurred in the history of these characters just like a lot of long-running characters but what this issue proves is that every single character that's presented here which is a good chunk of the alpha flight group are have enough in them to support a long-running series that people can be engaged with and can care about and that can be both action-packed and emotionally resonant. So I think it would be a crying shame for this not to become a ongoing monthly series in the very near future. Yeah, 100% agree. I I loved this. And I just I th- I think it was a really well handled revival of this team, even if it was just you know a collection of self contained stories. It feels very modern, but it also honors the roots of Alpha Flight, and it's very clear that the creators involved feel a reverence and a, and a deep love for these characters. Doug pointed this out, but. I think that final story does kind of create a really good jumping off point for an ongoing series. And also, since we barely got North Star, they have to do an ongoing series. Because he has been so MIA from the comics lately. Like, Marvel had that whole PR stunt. They married him off, and, and then, like, he dropped off the face of the Earth. 
I agree with you both. I think this this is what you want, right? You want something that does something new, but it's not new in that it's it's forgetting the past, but it's synthesizing it into something that's also compelling. And I just think it's a strength of the of the writing and the art that it that it works well. If it had been, you know, if those two elements hadn't worked together the way they did, it wouldn't be compelling the way it is. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all really happy with it. We we got a series of questions from one of our legion. Our, our massive legion of f- fans, which we've we've been calling flight heads. That's what we call them, the fans. We call we call. Oh, them is that. it? Is we call it them flight heads? Flight heads. Head head mm. flights. I, I'm not. I'm not sure about that one, uh, Liam. Stuff heads. Flight stuffers. <laughs> stuff stuff heads. Stuff heads. Stuff, we can we can figure this out later. Alpha f- stuffians. Okay, so this is uh uh, uh someone who's uh, on Twitter, Legends Untold on Twitter, uh, and they had a, they had a few things for us to talk about um, that they they had particular interest in. Uh, number one, Talisman's costume way better than the original one from the eighties. Let's just start there. Uh, strong mm. agree from me, Adriana. What do you think about that? Uh, I definitely agree as well. It just it's it's more practical. Doug, do you agree or do you miss the old uh, sassy evening gown? I don't miss the old sassy evening gown. I I can't really speak to whether Talisman in say the last decade when Alpha Flight comics have come out or she's made appearances whether this is a uh, a stark difference from what that is. Again, I haven't read those comics, but I do love the costume that she's wearing here. It very I think it feels a little bit more respectful to the the heritage of the character uh and and uh look i i'm sure there are people out there who would look at this and be like look how modest it is but they're in none of it it's freezing cold it makes sense that they'd have a couple more layers on yeah i that was the most i mean besides the fact that it it had more tinges that would remind me of something um indigenous uh the more important thing to me was that it made sense for the context they're in a cold place mm. she's wearing warm clothes that in and of itself sets it apart from lots of comic <laughs> books so i i appreciated the the practicality there um the the next thing the next comment uh, number two the line about snowbird looking just like her mother raising again the issue your podcast has discussed replied snow regarding snowbird's appearance um, and there was a follow-up to that. Uh, the Snowbird line reminds us that Snowbird's mom took on that appearance specifically to attract a white dude, an important point. Doesn't explain everything, though. Snowbird's human form was greatly influenced at birth by sh- uh, Shaman in ways that aren't completely clear. What do y'all think about that? I mean, I do think to a certain extent that there is a – just like a lot of this issue, there's sort of a soft retconning going right. on here. You know what I mean? Where it's just – it's kind of easing. It's not changing any element of the character for real, uh, but it's easing it to make it a little bit more acceptable. And I know that there's that's kind of a loaded way of saying that as if as if there's all these troublesome aspects with the background of the character. But the fact is there are some. And I do think that this is a way to answer to some of that without undoing – a lot of the history that people might like about this character already. I do think that there's more that they could do with that. And maybe, again, they might have already. But I think the question that we all really want answered is, where's Doug Thompson and all that? <laughs> and in particular, I got to see how his hairline is doing. It's been a right. long time. Who knows? Really excited to check that right. out. Maybe he has hair plugs now. You know, yeah, no. maybe. Yeah, or, he, or he's dead. One of the two. You don't know. Um, could be. <laughs> I here's the thing though the that this narrative makes more of a big deal of Snowbird as a com a, a combination of the divine and the human again, very Jesusy. But uh, but what an opportunity for them to tie her appearance, which is only her appearance, right? Like she she already describes it as just her flesh mask, you know, hiding her inner divinity. What a great opportunity to tie that appearance more strongly to her human father, who is very much uh, a blonde haired white man. Wouldn't it be better to say that's why she looks that way? Whereas her divinity is, is something else uh, that is not so tied to a particular racial phenotype and having that line, which is very cute. Don't get me wrong. Narratively, it's a very cute <laughs> line. It very much adds emotional depth to that moment, but then it, it, it unintentionally, I think reifies the fact that the gods of the North 
also look like white people. And, uh, you know, and I don't think this point is wrong that, you know, they took on that form to be attractive to her father. Sure, I guess. But I, I just thought in my head, I thought, oh, I'd rather think of it like her her fleshly form that she wears to hide the power. I mean, the 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 the, the whatever it is that her divinity is comes from her dad. I'm more comfortable with that idea than the other. But mm. in the end, I don't think it matters that much one way or the other. I don't think not acknowledging that changes anything. That's just what I was thinking. I do think that we should also speak to the other thing that the commentator mentioned, which is that that uh, it doesn't really explain everything anyway, because Snowbird's human form was influenced by Shaman. Right. So maybe, I mean, who knows that maybe people perceive her differently. Maybe they perceived her mother differently. Uh, but I do think that there is an attempt here to address it in some small way. Well, yeah. And we're also, I mean, the, co- you know, the, the commenter, uh, Legends Untold here is making an assumption, and, and it's an assumption I made when I read that line actually as well. But we're assuming that what they're referencing is her physical form. Maybe, I mean, he has just looked at her divine form, right? That's how she clears the evil away from his ghost is by revealing her true self. And so, you know, oh yeah, it could be seen as an ambivalent line. He's he's seen her in both ways. So, I yeah, I, I guess we, you know, I don't want to make too much out of it one way or the other, but uh, but it is an interesting thing since we have talked about it before. Uh, the the final th- thing our commenter uh, references is the puck flashback. He, uh, they say, I like the way uh, uh, the puck flashback dealt with Mantlo's puck problem, discussed on your show, retain, uh, uh, retaining puck's uh, preternaturally long history, uh, but showing him as short even long ago with no mention of Razor. New readers aren't told about Razor and shouldn't be. Uh, what what do you think about that, Adriana? Do you, do you think that uh, is an intentional uh, way to, to retcon the Mantlo issue or, 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 or not? What are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that the way Puck's back, you know, the, the part of Puck's backstory that we see here, I think the way it's represented is probably more in line with what Byrne had in mind. Uh, than what Mantlo would eventually do with the character. No, I, I think you're right about that. Um, Doug, I know you're a big Razor fan, so this must have really bummed you <laughs> out that Razor doesn't make an appearance in this little section. It's Black Razor, Liam. Um, it It's hard to say whether it's a retcon or not. I mean, I think what it makes th- this issue and that story in this, uh, in this uh, comic makes very clear is that Puck's history should have just been left an unknown because then you can fill it in with lots of cool stuff and it doesn't have to make sense it just has to you know he went on tons of adventures for like 50 years and you can dip into that whenever you want and here's a character from his past or i mean you can just keep that that it's such a uh, rich vein that they could have tapped into so to have given it an explanation that is not only ended up being controversial but if if maybe even universally disliked boy that was a bad move that was a rough one but i mean in does this does the fact that i'm just trying to remember now and you 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 both can correct me does the fact that that puck is um small in this flashback does that contradict the the Baghdad material where he was trying no. to steal the black but that, that that took place before this right so he would have already have turned I think this is ambivalent. I think it could be seen either way because all the only timeline we're giving on on this story is that it's before the war, which could be any time before the war, as long as there were cars, because they're definitely in a car. So I, you know, <laughs> this this could be this could be before the Baghdad story. It could be after the Baghdad story. So I don't I don't agree that it completely. I mean, I don't know that our commenter is is saying it completely retcons it per se, right? But they are suggesting it's a way to tell the story that leaves Razor out, and I like that. I I don't want to see, I don't want to ever be reminded that the idea of tall puck ever existed. <laughs> I don't want to see it ever again. I don't need that in my life. And so, if we just if we don't officially erase it, but we just never acknowledge it again. That's still a good. Uh, that's still a good way forward, I think, for Alpha Flight. It's, is... Comics are comics are so funny, right? Because it, you, there's a, and I can understand it. In any kind of creative person, you can't just leave it out there that this was an element of a character's history, and now it's not without some sort of explanation. When, for all intents and purposes, the the smartest thing to do in ninety nine point nine percent of situations is to just 
ignore it and move everyone would move on their lives just like you said uh it was you know don't acknowledge it under a penalty of torture like that simpsons episode it, it, it no one wants this so why don't we just pretend it never happened is to me a perfectly reasonable way to deal with this puck situation however that's with me not knowing look when they touch on this again in issues that I have yet to read of Alpha Flight, there might be an element in there that I really like. And I can see how a fan of this series might be like, I don't want that taken away from me. So I think, you know, if, if you have to tell that line where you can still tell these stories without acknowledging it, but without also contradicting it. Hey, look, that's a tough line to have to walk all the time when it comes to this really wonderful character's history. But if they have the talent uh, the writers have the talent to do it, then I say go with it. But uh, but I, I'm like you, Liam. If, if, up to this point, I never have to think about the fact that he has contained a demon within himself <laughs> in every, every appearance that we've ever seen him in. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to let that part go. So uh, that is our coverage of uh, Alpha Flight True North, a comic that uh, <laughs> we all enjoyed, and we hope that there's more to talk about in the future. However, on our next episode, uh, well, there's no more True North to talk about, so we're going to go back to the original series. We're going to be talking about Alpha Flight issues 35 and 36, uh, the continuing reign of Bill Mantlo in our Alpha Flight lives. But a uh, Canadian penciler, a Canadian's true. on board, that's Liam. True. It's very exciting. That's true. I, I I have a less essentialized view of Canada than you do, but I'm sure it'll still be good. Uh, anyways, we're so excited that you joined us here. Uh, thanks to everyone who supports Cinepunks on Patreon and uh, our sponsors, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and The Finery. Uh, go to uh, either of those places, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, if you would like something screen printed. Uh, the Finery, if you would like something unprinted from your skin uh either way we believe in printing here at cinebox uh adriana if people want to know more about uh the flight stuff where can they find us on social media well they can find us on twitter at flight stuff pod and uh if they'd like to drop us a line via email they can do so at flight stuff podcast at gmail.com awesome and uh, Doug, if, if people want to keep up with you and your various insane rantings on social media, where, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And while you're at it, why don't you give a quick uh, follow to at Cinema Smorg, uh, which will be a uh, Twitter feed for another upcoming podcast that Liam and I are working on called Cinema Smorgasbord. Find out all the details at Cinema Smorg on Twitter. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we hope you'll be excited too. Adriana, if, if folks are obviously interested in you as the most interesting part of this podcast, where could they find you on socials? They can find me on Twitter at EADXBB. And we would love if you would uh, head on over to Cinepunks on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can even join the Cinepunks Fun Time Hangout group on Facebook where we share all kinds of fun, exciting we share things things are shared there and you should check it out uh uh we we are so glad that you listened we hope you'll join us for the next episode uh until then flight stuff out <laughs>